Thanks for checking out the Crossing College and Career podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you and challenges you to walk confidently in your identity in Christ. We'll start off with a quote by this guy, A.W. Tozer. Some of you may have heard it before. Uh, what it says, though, is what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I want you to ponder on that just for a second. When you think about God or or you hear God, what comes to mind? What do you feel? What kind of emotion does it invoke? What are the first one, two, three words that come up? You see, when I was growing up, I don't know if you guys did this. When I grew up, I did this like little prayer before um, we would eat, like God is great, God is good, thank you God for this food, give us our daily bread, some variation of it, but God is great, God is good, thank you for this food, right? I never got that far, honestly, because my parents told me to say grace, I would literally just say grace and then I would start eating. So I took it like too literal. But God is great, God is good, thank you for this food. It's a short, simple prayer, good theology behind it, all true. But I wanna ask you the question, of do you really believe that prayer? Specifically, do you believe that God is good? Do you really believe that God is good? When you're in church, so we're in church, it's a reflex, hopefully, to just say instinctively, like, yes, God is good. Even if you're outside, though, I think most of the time, even people who may not believe, I, I think some of them may say God is good. It's a, it's a reflex to almost answer that way, and it's easy, especially when things are going good. But what's our standard of good? You see, when things come into our lives, I believe, when I think about suffering and pain and illness and loss and whatever other negative thing you can think of, our response to the question of, is God good? It's not as automatic. I think it's more of an open-ended question that I ask myself a lot of the time when I'm going through something negative, I say, huh, is he really good? Like, is he really? Am I the only one that does that? So two people, okay. Maybe someone else should preach because I don't have the answer (laughs) of why I do that. (laughs) But I really, truly think in the back of my mind, I can say with the head knowledge, God is good all day. Like, that's way too easy. Like, broke my leg family in the hospital, oh, God works in mysterious ways. You know, he's good all the time. It's like, no, he's not. Like my leg or my family or this or that or my car got totaled. Insurance isn't covering it. Like think of any negative situation. Is it really that automatic to say that God is good? And so what I want to do tonight is two things. I want to stress the importance of God's goodness and why it's important that we believe that. And the second thing I want to do is teach us and show us also the importance of leaning into the mystery of his goodness, even when we don't understand it. And so the Bible teaches us, right? God is good. So he's morally upright. He's pure. He's just, he's righteous. There's, there's no wickedness in him. He's perfect, pure, holy. There's nothing wrong with him. That's what the Bible says, right? And like I said before, I have like this head knowledge about it. And we're going to read some scripture. I'm going to read multiple verses tonight that show us about God's goodness and show us a little bit about his character and who he is. But when I do that, I really want you guys, so I'll give you personal. When I was preparing this message, God convicted me about his word and scripture. 
I go through Bible plans. I go through even when I was studying the word for this message. I'm looking at God's word and sometimes I just read it and I get the head knowledge, but it doesn't impact and influence my life. Have you been there before? To where I hear, I hear it, I understand it, I have the head knowledge, I can repeat as many verses as you want me to repeat, but I'm not experiencing it and living it. There's a difference between having a testimony about it and just reading it. And so I have not positioned myself to allow the power of God through scripture to influence me and have real experiences. And so I had to repent of that, and I still am, and maybe it, I, hope it, I hope I stop doing that, because that's what repentance is, is turning around, right? But I really want you guys to just know that's where I'm coming from. And I think we can all get there sometimes. So as I read these scriptures, don't just look at it on the screen as just another verse. See it as the power of God wanting to influence your life. There's power. The Bible talks about his word literally being living. And if I'm not going to take it as living, then it's going to bring no life to me. It's as simple as that. So let's take when we read scripture to not just get a head knowledge and say, oh, I get it, but allow it to get me. Allow it to grab a hold of me and so it becomes who I am. And when I get squeezed, that's what comes out. So 1 John 1.5, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Psalm 92.15, the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. Job 34, 10 and 12, far be it from God to do evil, for the Almighty to do wrong. It's unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would ever even pervert justice. First Chronicles 16, 34, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. He's good. His mercy endures forever. All the time, it doesn't stop. No matter what you do, his mercy endures forever. Psalm 25, 8, good and upright is the Lord. I love that one. That's simple. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all, everyone. He doesn't care where you came from, what you've been doing, what you're going to do tomorrow. He's good to all. He has compassion on everything he's made. Everything he's made, he has compassion towards. So God does what is right, period. Never treats us unfairly, never unjustly. He's not going to punish anyone unjustly. But I think sometimes we, I, have a problem with this idea because I have a very high opinion of, of what I deserve, right? Like, I think I should be healthy all the time for the rest of my life, especially because I'm a Christian. Gives me a couple more points. But when the test result comes back, and it's not in your favor, or maybe not you, a family member, you're like, God, you blew that one, <laughs> right? When your financial situation is not to maybe where it should be, and you, you know, maybe you're working hard and you're doing everything you can, you're stretched thin, but you still can't pay that one bill. And you're like, did you really slip up again, God? And then you tell, you know, the people you built to, you know, Jesus paid my debt. And they're like, we still need money. So... <laughs> Jesus can pay your debt all you want, but we don't have the cash. <laughs> right, though? But like, God, you slipped up. I, I don't have it. You know, when any storm comes into our life, it's the why God moment that we always ask. But the Bible tells us that God is good. So he's always doing what is right. So if there's a discrepancy between my expectations and the reality, then the problem isn't with the quality of God's justice. The problem is with my expectations and my inflated idea of what I deserve. 
that's where the issue lies. But I don't think it's inherently, I, I just don't think it's good enough for us to just take that posture. And this is where we, our minds go and where my mind goes at least is I don't want to have just this objective sense that God is good. I don't want to just have this non-relational, so to speak, approach that, you know, the head knowledge, God is good all the time. It's objective. I can say I believe it, but I want it to be personal. In order for us to believe God is good, you have to see his compassion and love and generosity and care for you, not because of what he says in the word or for other people. You got to experience that because if you don't, you're never going to believe he's really good. You're just going to start quoting scripture all the time and it's going to bring no life to you. So more verses, God's good. Psalm 31, 19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. So it's saying right here, a healthy fear of God is directly correlated to you experiencing his goodness, which, which you bestow in the sight of men and those who take refuge in you. So if you're taking refuge in your own thoughts and your own patterns and whatever you feel comfortable with, don't expect to see his goodness. You gotta take refuge in the Lord for his goodness to come. Psalm 86, five, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Call upon the name of God. Say, hey, I'm not experiencing your goodness. Could you help out? Call to him. And if you don't get it, keep calling. <laughs> There's like, we've all had those crazy exes who just keep calling. And so you eventually just give in. You're like, what do you want, you psychopath? Like, be consistent. Keep going. Keep asking. Psalm 105, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. All of them. Didn't stop in Jesus's day. It didn't stop at the apostles. It's, it's all the way till now, and it's going to keep going. <laughs> all generations. You know, I think as we read that, and like I said, I really want you guys, you don't have to take these verses. There's probably a hundred more. Like, Search in Google, it's easy. God's goodness, read that. Let it bring life to you. Let the power of the living word actually breed something new into you. I think though we can all still see some examples of God's goodness. Has anybody here experienced God's goodness? Like that he's good? Okay. There are some things in our lives we're like, oh, that was good. Thank you, God. Like it happens to us all, but what I want to share with you is something that just happened to me last week. Nick um, shared that we had a conference. It was called Global Awakening Conference. For those of you who don't know, we had some speakers come in, and it was like a three-day, I'm talking like, what time did we start? I think it was like 8 or 9 a.m. to like 11 p.m. like every single day. And so it was intense. But God breathed so much life into the body of this church, and I'm so excited to the direction that we're going. But I want to share with you guys, a personal experience that I had at the conference that I've never had before. And a personal testimony about my relationship with God. Um, I, I've been saved for five years now. It was actually March of 2016 where I gave my life to God. And that, I just noticed, that's cool. Um, I have had the most difficult time with God. <laughs> with physical manifestations and experiences with him. So the thing that really I've lacked is experiencing his love and peace in a real way. 
And that's, I'm talking like, feel like I never experience it <laughs> to the point where it gets me so frustrated. I'm like, oh, you're lucky I'm a pastor and I have to do this. <laughs> but I really have not, I don't experience it like other people do. So I look at other people's testimonies and what they say and their God is good and I always love, I just couldn't even breathe because it was so great. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> I pray to God all the time. God, I just want to see your love. I want to see your peace. I want to, I want to feel something. And it just it doesn't happen. <laughs> but I have noticed over the past six months or so, maybe a little longer, that God has softened my heart in a couple of ways. I've never been emotional my entire life, ever. Don't cry. Like, you don't do that being raised. Like, ain't happening. Don't show emotion. Don't give anybody emotion. Like, nothing. So, and that's like, turns people off, like turns people away from me a lot. And I still have to work on that. But the point is Friday, the very last day of the conference, worship, we're worshiping in the night session and um, Pastor Trent comes and I wasn't even like really into it. I wasn't worshiping. <laughs> I was kind of having a bad attitude. Pastor Trent though, he's a, he's a buddy of mine who works here. He comes behind me, puts his hands on my shoulders and he starts to pray. I don't hear what he's praying. I'm, I'm like, okay, thanks, whatever. And then another buddy of mine, Pastor Cole, he comes in front of me, puts his hands on my shoulders. I was like, thinking I'm going to get abducted. I was like, you guys are weird. Like, I am not even in that state where you're like this and people want to come pray for you. Like, I was just stone-faced. And so he starts praying for me, and he's, he's praying in tongues, so I don't understand what he's saying. But the only word I heard was shame. And within 15 seconds, I, like, broke down. Some, I, I couldn't control it. And I've never had that happen. I have seen like weird church people. I even saw it during the conference, like people shaking and doing all this stuff. I was like, chill out. You know, like those weird manifestations of, okay, you can say you got touched by God, but that's excessive. But it wasn't my experience. Now, was this crazy? No, it was not. But I fell into Cole's shoulder. And so I'm, Cole's shoulder. And so I'm standing up still. I'm cognizant of what's happening, but God is releasing shame off of my life. And I have never in my life felt, I felt, you know, when like you get like a good pump in the gym, your chest is like out to here. And like, I felt like my chest was going out 10 feet in front of me and I could not explain it. I still can't explain it all the way, but all I knew was God was doing something different. He was moving. They prayed for me for maybe four or five minutes. I'm not kidding you. I started sweating so profusely. It was coming out of my elbows, standing there, doing nothing, doing nothing at all. And so I'm sweating, I feel in my back and I'm like, oh God, this is getting gross. I'm starting to get out of the moment because of the physical thing going on. And I'm like, I can't even receive. And so after a couple minutes, you know, I get up and I wipe my face. It looks like I poured a, a bucket of water in my hand. But God showed me his goodness in a physical way. And I think that's the only reason I'm able to come up here because I told God, I was like, I'm tired of going up and preaching messages about your word and not experiencing it. Like I'm done. And he's so good that he timed it so perfectly that he gave me that before I even knew I was going to talk about goodness. And he said, why don't you talk about that then? It's something I've been begging for for five years. And he's just so good. So my thing is, I say that to say, this past week, I started to doubt his goodness. <laughs> How stupid. <laughs> How can we doubt? Why do we doubt after even something like that, which was very, very personal, very real to me? Why do we experience goodness and then doubt? 
And I think it's the, the main thing is we lack God's perspective. We lack his wisdom, his knowledge, and understanding. But the key is that God loves us so much, he's willing to do whatever is necessary to bless us, even if we can't understand it, and even if we don't appreciate it. He's willing to look out for our eternal future and sacrifice short-term pain to get us to where we need to go. But he's just so unique, and I want to talk about how unique God is, and that's how different he is and why we can't understand it. Mark 10, 17 through 18 says, as Jesus started on his way, there's a man that ran up to him. He fell on his knees before him. This guy says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love how Jesus, the first thing he doesn't address is like the eternal life question. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Isaiah 55, eight through nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, when we evaluate whether God is good or not, we set up a standard in our lives comparing God to that standard that we've experienced. If God was good, he would do this. If God was good, he wouldn't do that. He would do that. He wouldn't do that. But what is our standard of goodness measured upon? Ask yourself that question. It's our experiences. It's our family, our upbringing, what our friends say. Um, you know, we're judging goodness based on what we know. But the problem is the standard we create doesn't touch the thing being judged. <laughs> the standard we're creating for what is good doesn't even come close to the thing we're judging as good. <laughs> Like, it would, so here's an example. Like, I like golf. Not a lot of people do. <laughs> but Tiger Woods, everybody in here knows that name, probably. This guy was the best golfer of all time. He's had, like, injuries and stuff, whatever. But while he was playing, there's never been a golf player since golf was invented that has been better before or after him. There's good golfers. But people would go out like playing for second place when they played against Tiger Woods. This guy could have played with like a ping pong ball and blindfolded and still beat people. Like he was that good. And so he was the standard of what golf is. He still is till today. But like I said, I play golf. I've got a red shirt like Tiger wears sometimes. I use Nike golf balls sometimes. I don't even play golf. I watch golf. I actually thoroughly enjoy watching it. People call me crazy. I've read about golf. I think it's a very interesting sport. Like, I do like it. And so I have a lot of knowledge about golf. I golf personally. But what happens when, if I were to come up to anybody and put my standard of good for golf and then compare it to Tiger Woods? You would think it's absolutely insane. He is the standard. Doesn't matter how much experience I have, what I've read, nothing. Like there's a standard and I'm putting my standard here and saying, Tiger Woods, you got to live up to this. Like it's the same way with God. It's ludicrous for us to have a standard that we set in place and then say, God, this is the standard. I'm not calling like Tiger Woods a God, but you know what I'm saying? Like that premise of it. So what does it really mean for us to believe in God's goodness? I think it means that when things are painful, when things are confusing, when we don't get what God, God is doing, we have the position of this is coming from a good God who loves me and cares for me. My father has my best interest in mind. 
And that goes beyond a head knowledge of, I just have to say this. That is a heartfelt, I believe, regardless of how my circumstance appears, that I'm going to maintain faith and confidence that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. I maintain the course. I stay following. I stay trusting. I stay obeying. I stay praying. And I know that at the end of the day, what he's doing is going to bless me and glorify him. And that's a heart position. That's not a head knowledge. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So what difference does that type of attitude make when we truly believe in God's goodness towards us? What it creates is peace and joy. We've all heard about the peace that surpasses understanding. And like I even just told you before, I flat out don't experience it. But why? Maybe because it's my heart is not fully surrendered to the believing that God is good. And so then his peace can come. Maybe I'm hindering myself from the peace he's talking about. Because of my standard of goodness that I've set. You see, if you're confident that the outcome of every situation you're going through is coming from a good God who loves you, who wants to bless you, you're going to experience that peace and you're going to live out what his goodness is, not just have to quote a scripture to make yourself feel better or look better in front of people. And so God is good. Can everybody say that? God is good. That was good. So that's the first part. God is good, but mystery. Why is it important? Because he, he tells us he's good, but he doesn't say you're always going to understand the goodness, right? And that's where we get in trouble. So there's a mystery in God's goodness that we don't understand. Why is it important for us to embrace that? And to that question, I would ask, who would God be if I didn't? You see, if I know everything that's going on in my spiritual life, Every, you know, I know the destination, I know the mountaintops, I know the valleys, I know the road stops, you know, that we're going to make while we're on the way there. I know when the sickness is going to come. I know if I know it all my whole life, then who is God? What we've done at that point, if we do that, is we reduced God to a size that fits my understanding. We reduce God to it's crazy when you talk about it, but we do, we do that all the time, you know? I'm not sure that's a God I would want to serve. So and this is the worst for a pastor when someone comes up to you and they ask you questions, you're like, I don't know. You feel inadequate though, don't you? When people, you say you believe in God, even just a simple thing, I believe in God, and someone's like, that's stupid, and you can't almost explain questions they have, and you're like, Man, maybe they got a good point. <laughs> I don't know. If there's no mystery with God, he's not worth serving. Embrace that mystery. It's vital that not just the aspect of his goodness, but a lot of other aspects of our relationships remain in mystery because without mystery, there's no reason to offer trust. You can't say you trust something when you know everything about it. There's no reason for you to trust because you already know. And trust is a mystery that I don't understand, but I know it's going to work out. 
If there's no mystery, you can't trust God. It's that simple. What are we doing? Where am I? Thank you, God. We can talk about trust too. Proverbs 3, 5, right? Trust in the Lord your God with everything you have, it says, basically. Everything you got, trust in him. And it says, lean not on your own understanding. So all of my being, all everything I can muster up inside of me, even the things I don't understand, I trust God. And it says, lean not on your own understanding. So I'm, lean, I'm not going to lean. The word lean literally means support. I'm not going to support myself on what I know, what I've experienced, what God has done, maybe might not do, but I think I know, so I'm going to get make my own standard. Like, I'm not letting that be my support for my life anymore. My support is going to be replaced with mystery. So it's almost as if this thing would be invisible right now, but you're still supported. That's the place we have to get to, is I'm not going to let what I see support me anymore. I'm going to embrace the mystery of God and allow that to be the thing that sustains me. We, ha- we constantly have to expose ourselves to mystery with God because that lets other people know there is something to trust. You can't have all the answers all the time. You really can't. But I want to see, I want us to see what we get out of basically leaning into the mystery of God's goodness. Proverbs 25.2. It's to the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter, to search out a matter, is the glory of kings. So what it's saying here is men, kings, have a tendency to kind of get glory when we strive and we search and we figure things out. But isn't it interesting that God's glory is connected to things being hidden? It said it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. He gets glory while things are hidden. See, I want to propose that God's goodness, when we believe in that, is automatically connected to his glory. When you get God's goodness and you really get it, it gets you, you see his glory. Second Chronicles 5, 13 through 14. The trumpeteers, musicians, joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices uh, to praise the Lord. So these people are worshiping, just like we were doing. They were having a big worship session. Listen to all they said. He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. The priests couldn't even perform their service because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord had filled the temple. God's glory was connected to their proclamation of your good. And it wasn't just a head knowledge, they believed it. His glory was connected to them saying that. So we see the connection here between the goodness and the glory, and with those comes his presence. And I think one of the people who hosted God's presence had experiences with God so often in the Bible was Moses. More often than a lot, mostly everyone. This guy experienced the Lord. God said that he would talk with Moses face to face, and he said, I don't do that with anybody else. But even with all those experiences, there's only one where Moses physically manifested God's glory. Exodus uh, 34, 29 through 33 says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant, uh, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So this guy's face is literally glowing. 
He'd spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. They were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, the Israelites came to him. He gave them the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished, he had to put a veil over his face because they couldn't take it. Moses asked to see God's glory and God said, okay, okay. And he showed him and connected to it was his goodness. You see, the one time Moses' countenance changed was because he experienced a fresh revelation of God's goodness. And isn't that what is missing today? Are we missing that? The world has seen a divided church. They've seen a selfish church, an angry church. They, they, they've seen this church that's not God at the end of the day, right? It's hard. There's a reality in saying it's hard to say I go to church and I'm a Christian today. It is because it's so misrepresented. And I, I take, I've done it a lot too. I'm not putting this on other people. Like I do it every day. Am I the best representation of Jesus I can be? No. But they've seen this church that's not God. What would happen if we experienced God in such a way and got a revelation of his goodness in such a way that it transformed our countenance and the world saw something different? What would happen? What, what would people say? We, Like I said, I, this is something that's on me. We can't just talk about it. We have to become it. We have to become it. How we, how we behold him is what makes people believe in him. How we behold the father's heart and his goodness makes people really believe in him. The world is begging for something different. They really want it. They're just saying, prove it. God's word doesn't say that he's not going to. He wants to, or do we want to though? They're begging for a real God. We're just not giving it to them. It's not God's fault. Our action or inaction doesn't make him any more or less real. <laughs> doesn't make him any more or less good. John 20, 21 says, as the father has sent me, I also send you. This is Jesus talking. When you think of Jesus's ministry and we'll, we'll yeah, I'll end here. When you think of Jesus's ministry, there's many times where all he said was, all I do is what the Father's doing. All I see is what the Father's seeing. All I hear is what the Father's telling me. It's all connected to the Father. He never did anything on his own. It was all the Father. And what he's saying here, he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. When Jesus was going to the cross, he was telling them like, hey, I'm gonna give you a gift that's better than me. I have to go. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. So as the Father sent me to proclaim his goodness, now I send you with Holy Spirit to do the same thing. We're called to perpetuate the ongoing revelation of the goodness of the Father. We are called to it. That, that's our mission. A lot of people, yes, Jesus did come to, he died so my sins could be forgiven. Jesus came to reveal the goodness of the Father. He didn't just come to save us. He came to reveal the Father in a new light. We've seen, you know, Old Testament God. He's saying, hey, you thought you knew who he was? Look at, look at this aspect of it. 
I'm not saying that was a different God. It's the same God, but here's this. <laughs> he's revealing the true nature of the Father, and he's saying, man, just as God sent me, I now send you with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have to start beholding him better. <laughs> we, we have to embrace the uncertainty into the and the mystery. We have to lean on that invisible table, so, so to speak, that is the mystery of God's goodness and say, I trust that. I trust that. And as you do, I, I guarantee you, like I said, when we start to really believe from a heart position that his goodness is really good and our standard no longer measures up to him, I throw every, there may even be some stuff right about your standard of God. Throw it out. Start new. If the Bible doesn't talk about it, you're probably wrong. Even if it does talk about it, we can't understand the depth and the width of his goodness. We can't comprehend it. So throw it out and allow him to start giving you fresh revelation of what it actually is. So that way we're not, we stop being disappointed when things don't go our way. We're setting ourselves up for failure when we attach ourselves to the standard of goodness. You're almost asking yourself to be mad at something. Start setting it up to the, man, I don't understand it, but I know God's good. And at the end of the day, this is going to bless me and he's going to get glory from it. The end result is worth the pain and the struggle. So that is, I think, that's my message is let's start embracing the mystery of God's goodness and change it from just having a head knowledge to actual experience that's physically manifesting in your life like I was sweating like a gross person last Friday. Do you know how many times I almost gave up like saying, you know, I'm still gonna be a pastor, I'm still gonna be a Christian, I'm still gonna follow God, I'm still gonna do it, but experience is just not for me. Like so close so many times. Like I said, it's been five years. That's the first time something like that has happened to me in five years. I'm not joking. So don't stop, keep asking, keep knocking on the door, push through, be consistent. God wants to bless you. He wants to physically show you he's good. He does. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out the Crossing Church Message Podcast with Pastor Greg Dumas. Once again, thank you so much for listening.